Have you ever listened to an interview that somehow reaches out and touches your soul? Well, if that has never happened to you, then today may be the day as I have with me spiritual teacher, international speaker, and author of the fantastic book, Stop Missing Your Life, Corey Mascara. And boy, it's such a powerful interview that you really don't want to miss. And I'm pleased to welcome Corey Mascara. Thank you, Paul. Hi, everyone. Uh, so glad to have you here. As I was just explaining before um, we hit record, I was reading uh, Corey's book, uh, Stop Missing Your Life, um, by the poor in Spain last year. And I was thinking, finally, a book that explains the ego uh, in a way which most people can understand, because there's a lot of spiritual and psychological jargon around the, the, the topic. We're going to jump into that a bit later, but I wanted just to ask you, um, what led you to writing this book? How did you get here to writing Stop Missing Your Life? Yeah, there's, uh, as I'm sure with anything, any big endeavor, there's a long story and the shorter story. Um, you know, my the, the journey into a lot of the content in that book started when I was in college. Um, I, I opened the book by saying I didn't get into meditation for any noble reasons. I was trying to impress a girl. I had a hippie girlfriend <laughs> in college. She was in a meditation. I wanted her to think I was cool. So I started meditating. And then, um, then as she broke up with me a couple of weeks later, and it was the pain of that breakup that actually caused me to take, uh, take the meditation practice more seriously because it was the only thing giving me some relief at the time. And so it started as a superficial undertaking and then it became a bit of a, a refuge. Uh, and that refuge then kind of developed into this deeper curiosity into you know, how come I had never learned how to work with my thoughts or my emotions uh, or my despair um, and also never really learned how to amplify the, um, the experience of the richness of my life outside of trying to amplify the external variables. So it all just opened this door into this deep inquiry around what is well-being, what is fulfillment, um, and what would it mean to not get to the end of my life and feel like that I missed it or that I missed the point of it? So it was a bit of an existential crisis at age 20, 21. And, um, and I, you know, I still had a very type A personality at that time. And that I just, I said, well, like, you know, I had a bunch of college loans. I had $50,000 worth of college loans. And, but I had a little bit of time where I could defer it. So I said, let's just really immerse ourselves in this while we have the opportunity to do so. And um, I spent six months doing a, a silent meditation retreat where um, in a monastery where you just wake up every day at 3 a.m. You go to bed the earliest around 9 p.m., usually a little later, and you're doing a minimum of 14 hours of meditation each day. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for some form of intensity um, really where I could sever myself from the usual things in my life that were bringing me comfort mm -hmm. and see if I could develop a form of peace and contentment that was uh, less contingent upon external variables. And I had the uh, somewhat naive assumption, but uh, like earnest and uh, sincere that um, 
you know, if I could do that, then the rest of my life would be taken care of. I could come out of that experience. I would have my my depth of peace and then everything else would sort of just be like gravy on top of the mashed potatoes. But <laughs> I would always have my mashed potatoes. And, um, you know, I, I quickly realized that, you know, it's one thing to cultivate that quality of peace in a monastery where there are no distractions or people don't need anything from you and you don't have kids, you're not dealing with money. It's another thing to do it in the real world which is not to throw out the magnitude of the, um, the insight and the transformation that happened during that time, but more to say that it was the, it was the, the foundation for what I really consider the more, what for me has been the real work, which is how to take the, that space that I touched into in practice and integrate it into my day-to-day -day life, which is much more messy and complicated. Uh, and then how to do that, uh, how to help other people do that as well. And so the the book is uh, kind of the culmination of around a decade of that trial and error and, and piecing those two worlds uh, together. And then I've always just been interested in how do you communicate wisdom and depth in a way that's just very practical and accessible for, for people. So I tried to write with that in mind. Well, you did. And I think your book and I recommend it to my clients, it's highly accessible. Um, it's, there's a lot of humor, and I think a lot of people can relate to um, what you've been going through. I, I, I mean, I, I did think about how on earth did you sit there with intense back pain um, meditating for so long? <laughs> um, I just think, because that's quite a drastic jump, isn't it? I mean, some people go, I'll, I'll do some meditation. I might do a weekend retreat. You chose a monastery for six months, doing a minimum of 14 to 15 hours a day. What do you think? I mean, obviously you were going through quite a lot, but what do you think has been the driving force? Do you think there's been a, a, a driving force behind this that's had a bigger plan for you? or Because it's led you to helping so many people. You know, you're, 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 impact, yeah. you're you know, have an impact daily uh, with your, your text messaging service, yeah. your Instagram, mm -hmm. um, your, your, your podcast, uh, your books. So what do you think has been going on you know, behind the scenes, if, if, if you think there's anything? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I, you know, the, the momentum of it all or the development has kind of just taken a, a life and an energy of its own. It, it all really started with a very sincere intention to understand this, you know, the question of like freedom, inner freedom and happiness for myself. And, um, and, it, and I thought I always even when I was starting out that like maybe I would teach this, but it it wasn't clear to me in, until after I got back from the monastery that I wanted to start teaching. Um, and it was done from a place of like, I don't know what my life will look like. I don't know if I could really make that much money doing something like this, but um, I can't imagine doing anything else. So so there was a, a, a sincerity to it. And um there's a lot of variables that, you know, people might look at what I have developed as a business or like a public persona um, and view it as uh, objectively uh, successful or like bigger. Um, and, and I guess there's, there's some truth to that. Um, how it's become what it's become and why and what the motivation motivational force has been uh, is a bit above my pay grade to really answer. I think there's there's some stuff that 
I mean, if you want to just look at personality type, ever since I was a kid, I've just always been interested in uh, growing things and immersing into things. So, uh, you know, even even strange things like when I was five years old, I was running garage sales for the kids on my block, uh, you know, all kindergartners, like, what can I take from my house and sell it to them? And then I got really interested in golf and my adolescence and would practice 14 hours a day. Um, and then I was selling candy when I was in high school. Everyone knew me as a candy man in high school, which is a, <laughs> a very interesting contrast from what I do now. Uh, I'd go to Costco, I'd buy $300 worth of candy, and then I'd flip it the next day. Um, but I, and so there was, there was always like a business, uh, I, I was, I was good at business, um, and, and what I do is a business, but I never knew the thing that I, that the energy behind that, that, that wanted to plug into. And then when I found this kind of work, um, it was, it was a really interesting thing because like the energy that I was associating with, like, I always thought I'd be a business person. I really, when I got on a more granular level with that, it was, it was very much just the energy of creativity. I've always had a ton of creativity like coursing through my body and it shows up in, um, you know, how I want to like bring things to life in my own world, but it also shows up with how I navigate my own internal experience, which is why, you know, for an introvert as well, spending six months in silence was wonderful because I could just like mm -hmm. explore really deeply what was going on here and how to make it work better or understand it better. And then that energy is kind of just taken manifestation as a as a teacher. And then it shows up as like uh, creating Instagram posts or running a daily podcast and all these things that I do that um, I, I think is important to acknowledge it. It doesn't. Um, I'm very fortunate for this reason, but and I want to give myself some credit because I've I've done a lot to make sure I've been in alignment each step, step of the way. But what I do doesn't feel like um, work to me. It really just feels like a an, an expression of uh, my soul, and I am just more and more trying to get out of the way of myself for that to come through. And I always feel it's important to name that when people look at some of what I'm doing, or when they look at other creators, or people who have some like seem on the outside that they have some form of success. Uh, you can't. You really can't evaluate the success um, just by what you see. Uh, there's plenty of people in my position who are miserable and very anxious and have developed big things, but um, are really out of alignment. Um, I've uh, my commitment along the way was always just to stay in alignment and see what would come from that. And my particular karmic path has been to be what it is. Um, and and so I. If at any point it doesn't feel true to be doing what I'm doing anymore, I'll take a back seat. And truth always has to be asked in the context of like realities of your life, of making money and do I have kids or not, or my partnership. It's like, what is true is like, oh, I want to go live in a monastery now, but I can't because I'm married and I have kids. Well, then the truth kind of like works around that, uh, like water moving through a riverbed. And and what I'm sharing is maybe a little bit off the main intention of your original question, but, um, you know, just to anchor it back into uh, what has been the motivating force, it's, I think, just really been my ruthless commitment to stay aligned with 
the deepest truth I can access in myself. And that just continues to be like the journey of a lifetime. And I have no idea where it's going to take me next. No idea. Yeah. I'm just going to just touch upon that just for a moment. But what is so important for you, do you think, for the deepest truth, for you to be aligned with your deepest truth? As I said, it's we're we're kind of benefiting it from it. We're we're exploring with you your your journey. We get we get to see it. We get to see what you're saying. But what's so important for you? Do you think yeah. that drives you? As in, why is aligning with that important, or what's yeah. important in terms of how I how I get there for myself? Well, I think now that you've asked that part, we could go both ways. Um, but I think the. Um, yeah. So, but I think just what drives you, what's so important for you to be aligned with your deepest truth? That, um, <laughs> I love that question. I don't know if I have a good answer. I, I think that's one of those things that it's kind of like an act of grace. And I use that when I don't really have any good logical explanation mm -hmm. for why something arises. Um, in, in whatever the particular constellation of my being is in this lifetime, and you could step out of even perspectives on lifetimes and just say whatever my particular constellation of genetic and social uh, variables that have come together, it's just made me um, deeply interested in knowing who I am and sensitive to when something doesn't feel aligned. And, and so that then brings us to the next question of just like, how do I sense into that for myself? And uh, what does that look like, that discernment process? And I think everyone, you know, if you kind of step out of your head with it and get more in your body, everyone has a, a knowing of when something feels aligned when you're, you're in connection with truth. And when I use the word truth, I'm not talking about like the, the, what this political person say is, is true or not, like on a logical level um, or all these kind of debates we get into. I, I'm talking about like a particular resonance that you feel in yourself that when you're connected to it, it doesn't actually have the resonance of being a decision that you're making. It's just like, oh, this is, I'm being pulled into this next thing. There's an opening that's expanding me into this now, this relationship, this work, or pulling me out of this relationship or to have kids. And it's kind of ineffable. And when I, when I know I'm aligned with that, um, it's because I'm not arguing myself into it. I'm not like having to amp myself up and go, all right, we're, you know, this is the right thing to do right now. Like, going to get married, I'm going to have kids. And then like, you know, you, you get settled and still and relax and you kind of disconnect from that. And then you're like, wait, is that really what I want? And I go, yeah, no, that's what we want. That's what we want. And so one of the ways, you know, when you're out of alignment is uh, when you constantly have to refresh the story to amp mm -hmm. yourself up for the life that you think you should be living. And many people live their lives this way. Um, I think I, I lived a lot of my life this way as well, or at least certain chapters of my life. But for anyone who's done that, you just know it's exhausting. You burn out um, and one misalignment like leads to another or just leads to like three months, six months, a year or 10 years 
where, you know, you might be able to arrange the deck chairs on the Titanic to be a little nicer and more pleasant and you build nice things around you, but something deep beneath the surface is just like, there's like gears grinding. And Mm. when you get still and calm and you feel safe enough to feel what's actually there, you get familiar with or this like voice arises not necessarily as a thought or an actual voice but like a felt sense of like there's something off here and maybe that shows up as tension in your body might show up as imagery might show up as like Mm. an activated mind um and then those other moments where where we we do descend and we drop in and um and we are in a certain flow with our life you know check in those moments it's you're most likely, I can almost guarantee, you're not constantly thinking about, is this the right thing I should be doing? Uh, and so like the resonance of truth as something that can guide our life, which I think is the closest thing to aligning to a life we are meant to live, if that exists, um, is really just the ongoing listening to that space and then the surrendering to that. And because we're on this topic, I'll just add a little bit more to this because it's it's a provocative um, it's a provocative conversation because in many ways it's like flipping the script around how many of us li- live our lives. And I've had to do a lot of my own like really deep discernment and go through my own hurdles and loops around like, does that actually make sense? And is, can that be a guiding force for my life? Um, and so like if anyone's hearing that it goes like i don't i don't know about that i first just want to go like i i hear you um and if there's like a a place in you that's curious about it it's it's worth trusting that place because that soul voice and that's the one way we could talk about alignment um is much quieter it's less noisy and one way to discern that from the ego voice is that um or when it comes to desire, like I often say desires that arise in agitation are more aligned with the ego and desires that arise in stillness are more aligned with the soul. Agitation being like fear, anxiety. And so something that comes up in those spaces is usually going to be related to like protecting ourselves. Something that comes up when we feel safe and still is usually going to be making space for the deepest thing in us to express without being filtered through all of these protective mechanisms. So it's something for people to play with. Yeah, I think that's absolutely beautiful. It's something, you know, something you just said just popped to mind uh, from my own backstory. Uh, and I've talked about it before on the podcast and is that I nearly ended my life due to panic attacks and anxiety. And it was at the last moment, this deep voice within me whilst I was sat wondering what the hell to do with myself. I saw no hope, just gave me the answer to begin to create a new exploration into looking away from head up exploration of anxiety more into the body. Do you think, and I've heard this story a few times when people have been in a moment of desperation, a moment of, you know, extreme stress, that this calm voice seems to come out of nowhere to give someone help in that moment. Have you heard much about it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And it's a really good point to bring up right after what I just shared, uh, because it like adds a little bit of nuance around like 
how desires that arise in agitation are often aligned with the ego. This to me is, uh, is an example, and it's a common example of when agitation kind of pressure cooks us and then troubles us into a conversation with our, our soul. Like something gives. The ego is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And it collapses, but it collapses into the vastness of the soul space of, of awareness. And that's this corresponding calm that we feel. The tension is created from the ego being at war with the soul. And if the, if the word soul doesn't work for people, like I didn't use that word for years in my teaching. I basically just use it to describe this more mysterious place in us that we touch in meditation uh, or when we're really quiet and still. Some people call it awareness. Some people call it the higher self, metacognition, whatever spirit. Um, but this is why difficult moments can be the doorway into a completely new way of living it's it's basically it just like troubles us into surrender and what is surrendering the part of us the ego part that thinks it can run our life and run the show and make us happy with all of its strategies and it comes to an impasse where it's like i don't know what to do anymore and because of that just is forced to let go and then the beauty is that there's something there to catch us on the other side and um and I mean, Eckhart Tolle, this is, if you've ever read or anyone who's read The Power of Now, this is like how he opens his book, that he was in a place of like, I can't live with myself and just got him into this recognition of like, oh, who is the I and who is myself? And and it just, it, I mean, <laughs> kind of sounds like he evaporated entirely in that moment <laughs> and then spent the next two years on a park bench in New York City enlightened. But yeah, yeah these most spiritual journeys or most journeys that um, that start a very new way of living are preceded by uh, intense pain and uh, ego struggle. Uh, that's such a beautiful answer. It gives me so much more clarity on something that I experienced. So thank you for that. Could you explain a little bit about what the ego is for anyone listening to this who's thinking, it's lovely, but what is it? <laughs> You describe, you describe it beautifully yeah, in your book. Good. But yeah, so what, what, what is the ego? Yeah, it's always good to define terms. Um, so I describe the ego as the uh, conglomeration of uh, thoughts and beliefs that have accumulated over your lifetime that tell you who you need to be in order to be um, safe, loved, and protected. And, and so it's not really a thing um, that you can grasp. It's if you look in your experience, you're not going to really see it as anything tangible. It's kind of this felt orientation toward life that has these built-in heuristics and algorithms for how you're supposed to show up uh, in order to get basic needs met. And uh, it develops from a very early age, as you know, because we're vulnerable. We come into human form and as a little baby that's completely helpless and we have needs this the human form uh bodies humans have needs of of connection of attunement of love and safety so for some reason we we have that as a human and there's a lot of things that compromise that and um and so like we have this desire for love and then for some reason uh we, we get close to our our parents um, or, and then there's like an abandonment or, um, 
they leave us for a prolonged period of time or we feel like we can depend on them for something and they're not there. And it makes us now associate, oh, this like really raw need, true need that's here. When I open myself to having it met and it's not met, it's really painful. And so there's a learning that gets developed like, oh, it's not okay to have this need or I have to have my guard up. And so that's like one example of how aspect of aspects of the ego get developed and scripts that get formed about who we need to be in the world in order to protect ourselves uh, or in order to get love or in order to get safety. Now, the thing about it is that it, it is, um, it is something to be respected and bowed down to deeply with reverence because it, it, in all the ways that it's operated in you, it's gotten you to this point of being alive right now. And if you're listening right now, it means you're alive and you've gotten through every difficult thing. And in many ways, aspects of the ego structure have probably um, helped you get here. But it's never the thing, and it's impossible for it to be the thing that will actually give you deep fulfillment because it's disconnected from that space of deep fulfillment of... Um, and this is where now we get into like, what is the soul mm. uh, or what, what do I describe as the soul? Um, if, if the ego is developed in order to get safety, uh, love and connection, the soul is the space that is inherently safe, loved and connected. Um, it's this place in you that, you know, if you've ever done meditation and you kind of just like let go or you're with your breath and you're not doing anything, you're not changing anything about your external world. You're not really changing anything about your internal world. You're just allowing it all to flow and you're shifting your identification from the thoughts that are moving through or the sensory experience to the one that's observing. That space is inherently um, calm. It's inherently spacious. It's, it's pristine. And it's a reward unto itself just to be there. And this is why contemplative traditions and even many religious traditions all point to this thing that there's like something beyond the external and the sensory experience that we can dwell in for actual freedom. So you kind of have to first take the stance that that exists in order to recognize the limitations of the ego. But if we do take the stance that that place exists within us, going back to what I was saying, that the ego can never fully give us that satisfaction. Um, in order to rest in that soul space, it requires letting go. It, re it requires the ego um, letting go of its normal strategies of guarding, of protection, um, and kind of posturing in order to try to get certain needs met. The ego comes from the original wound of disconnection from the soul space, where at some point the human form, human form didn't feel like it could trust that space, that it could surrender into it. And when you're a baby, you can't really, because you don't know how to actually use that space um, to make sense of your life. You just, you just have all these needs uh, and protections. And so that's where the ego comes online and says, I'm going to fix this for us. And maybe it gets us through for a while, 
But then now we're in relationships trying to get like love and connection and we're completely depending on the other person to give us a sense of fulfillment and love. And now we're manipulating them to be a certain way for us in order to make that experience without recognizing that that's like deeply an, an inside job. Um, and, and so again, just like if the ego continues with those strategies, it just ends up creating more distress for us. Um, let me know, it's, it's such a big topic and I want to, mm. I want to make sure I'm not sure going a little too far off or not filling in any gaps. So let me know what might need some clarification here, if anything. I just, I just, uh, I think you've answered beautifully what the ego is. It was just, it was really lovely just to hear you, you know, going to your space and just let that come forth. And, um, I just want to touch upon a quote just to add a little bit to this i think that you put up today mm. uh, and it said uh, stillness gives space for the soul to speak and fear comes from its resistance to what it says can you explain mm -hmm. it i think this adds on yeah. very nicely to what we've just been saying so um can you explain a little bit more about that yeah yeah so let's just look at like what can happen in the space of stillness and uh, many of us avoid stillness, but something, and for good reason, it can be scary and it invites us to feel things we might not want to feel. Mm. But when you do anchor into a place of stillness where you're not caught in the agitation of your thoughts about the next thing I'm trying to accomplish and who I have to be in the world to be great, and you just kind of let all that settle and you center yourself, you ground and you're present, there's a a new communication that arises that's not just coming from mental agitation or pain in our, our body or our emotions. Um, and that we is what I'm talking about when I say like stillness gives space for the soul to speak. When the body is not constricted and it's not bracing against life and it's not caught in these fear patterns, when that softens, your natural life energy, soul energy, soul communication has the opportunity to be heard. And it's a much more subtle voice. It's much more subtle than the anxious minds that's saying, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to mm. get there, right? It's, it's quieter. It sometimes doesn't even come up as thoughts or a voice. It's like a felt sense. And so stillness makes space for that to arise. And then, and so he said, stillness makes space for the soul to speak. Um, and fear comes something, uh, fear is when the ego resists what it says. Right. Is yeah, that what so, I said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like so fear that. comes from its yeah. resistance to what it says. And that's the bit I wanted to touch upon was, um, so the ego fears, yeah. what does the ego have to fear about what the soul has oh, the, to say? The ego's, it doesn't necessarily fear uh, mm -hmm. it, but when it doesn't fear it, um, or when it's not threatened by it, mm -hmm. it's, you're not going to feel fear. So the fear and which is inherently an ego construction. The soul space doesn't uh, doesn't communicate fear. Um, so the fear comes. Let's just say, like you drop into that still place, and mm -hmm. there's this feeling of like, oh, this relationship I'm in is no longer right. Like it, something needs to shift, and you don't necessarily. It might not show up as like I need to blow this up and leave the kids and, and everything. It's just like, oh, there's something off here. And mm -hmm. so you, you feel that like, cause you've given yourself the space 
for that to come through. And, um, and then as you're holding that, the ego is like still lingering in the background and then it will come in. And, uh, if it's scared of the implications of that or makes a story about the implications of it, that's where the fear will come in. And so the, the ego story could be, well, if you leave this person, then this is going to collapse and your kids are going to hate you and we're not going to have enough money and all this. Stuff. So that's the ego coming in to protect. Mm-hmm. So it feels threatened by something that's coming through. The And and that's, again, um, like where we can hear that out. Like it's, it's important. It can be important to listen to that. Go like, all right, what are the concerns here? And we we give space for those concerns, not in an overly identified way. Overly identified would be we're in the soul space and then those concerns arise and now we're no longer in the soul space. We're just like completely in the fear. It's like, yeah, oh, that could go bad, right? So there's a way that we can kind of rest in that space, that groundedness and see some of the fears that are arising and then check back in with ourselves. All right, yeah, given given that potential reality, what is the next step? And we ask, we ask a very deliberate question, like what is the next step? And then what might come up is like, we let's just have a conversation with our partner. And that's very different than, you know, what, what the ego, the ego takes a very longitudinal, you know, timeline with it. Mm. It projects into the future, the next three months, six months, two years of the implications of this one little piece of truth that's arising. We have no idea what the implications of this piece of truth is. We might have, we might think we do based on what we've seen in other circumstances, but we don't actually know. So that's where the ego comes in and resists that. Um, and that's why whenever that does happen, it's okay. We get to smile at it, acknowledge it, and then come back to, yeah, thank you, ego. I appreciate what you're saying. And like, given all of that, what feels like the next step right now? And you always just take it one step at a time. What is true right now? Um, but there is something transformative, uh, that happens in life when you begin to trust that space, uh, that still space of communication and you don't even have to, you know, take it on as a framework for how you want to live your life. I think the more we just dwell there, uh, which is what something like a meditation practice can do or yogic practices or any form of like stillness and embodiment practices. Mm. They sensitize us to um, to a way of being that is just deeply and inherently compelling. That, that soul space, but let's just call it awareness or peace or ease uh, or unconditioned experience. There's something deeply compelling about it in a way that we're not even thinking that it's compelling. It's just like, oh, this is, this is freedom. This is ease. This is where I want to live my life. It feels correct to be there. And, um, and so that's where like our own journey of grounding ourselves and, uh, and doing our own inner work is like, you know, you can just trust that through and through. But the more we get sensitized to that space, the more there's just a, a, a trust in, yeah, I want to listen to the communication that's coming from this place. I don't want to listen to the communication that's coming from my mind that's telling me who I need to be in order to be successful or great or loved because, uh, well, sometimes you just have to be disillusioned by following that. And for many of us, we have to go decades following that voice before we realize like, oh, it doesn't actually uh 
it doesn't actually deliver on its promise. No, it doesn't. And I think that's a beautiful answer, by the way. That really did resonate with what you just said about that stillness. And it's something that, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the more you listen to that voice when you sit with stillness, how um, there's more synchronicity, that alignment just seems to, the world just feels right. Uh, things just seem to to roll smoothly. Uh, do you notice that? Is that something that comes up with, because you do retreats, you must have people talk to you about their experiences of, um, you know, listening to this voice. Is this something that comes up? Yeah, big time. And and it's spoken about in all of these different traditions that are pointing to this room in different ways. Um, serendipity, uh, the universe conspiring in your direction, mm -hmm. all these things that seem a little out there. It's kind of true, <laughs> at <laughs> least in my experience. Um, it's, you know, I'll often, I'll sometimes share this quote, uh, well, it, it not quotes just what I say that the universe takes care of a surrendered heart, and there's something about that that space of surrender of like really deep letting go that's connected to this other space that you're letting go into. It's not just like I'm going to let go of responsibility because this is hard, and not that's ego stuff as well, right? That's it's the same way that ego comes up where you're in a relationship and it's difficult and it's like, no, I want to run a bar in Maui, you know, on, on a beach. And then it just goes, I got to destroy it all and flee. That's not, that's not how this all communicates. It's mm. like the, it's like a, a two-year-old ego saying like, I got to get out of here. And so it's taking a, a, a wisdom, like a desire for freedom and attaching a story on it. And then like, it's expressing itself through action. Um, and so that we're not talking about that uh, when I say surrender, but when you get into this this place of stillness and there's just like this resonance of like, oh, I am I am being pulled into this right now. And you just stay with that moment by moment by moment and listen where it takes you. Yes, things open up in ways you can't possibly imagine. And most mm -hmm. of us don't get to experience that because it's so hard to trust that space so many alarm bells go off when we do. And, and that's why you, you start with little things. It's like you sit down in the morning. It's like, do I have my cup of coffee right now? Or do I tend to the kids? Uh, and then just see, it's just like, oh, actually, we're just, let's just sit here and wait. Cool. And so you follow that. And then you mm -hmm. take another moment where you're tuning and see what comes up then. And uh, sometimes you don't have as much choice because life is chaotic and their demands. Um, but giving yourself dedicated space to do that more intentional listening really sets the groundwork for doing it in a more fast-paced way. And then it sets you, it equips you for being able to trust that um, that pulse of life and truth moving through you in more high-stakes situations where it feels like there's a lot more on the line. Um, yeah, I love that. And yeah. It reminds me of Michael Singer's book, um, The Surrender Experiment. I don't know if you've read it. Um, and yeah. I, I talked about it last year. I did an episode around that, around how I surrendered a lot last year. You know, the, my ego was quite good at resisting some things. And by surrendering, it was amazing what began to align and move back into my life. And uh, so what you were saying just really aligns with that. That And a surrender is hard because the ego does love to control. It gets very upset if reality isn't happening the way that it says it should. 
uh, but surrendering yeah. and reducing resistance is a very powerful um, step to take. Is there any advice for anyone who's thinking it all sounds very great, and but I struggle to meditate and sitting in still sitting in stillness is difficult. What would you suggest to someone who's struggling right now and would love to maybe take a few yeah. steps down this path? Yeah, very simply, start start by loving the struggle. Uh, we often view the struggle as an impediment to this space that we're getting into. It's it's not an impediment. It's the doorway. It's like, oh, I'm trying to be present, but I really, I really hate like this practice of sitting still. Cool. Well, the only thing that's true in that moment is that you hate what you're doing. That is the that's and that's the only thing you can be present with. Presence is not some like future moment that you've externalized. That's where it's like there's going to be the absence of that. Presence is just this intimate encounter with what's here right now. And it's the same with any sort of heart opening stuff. People go like, oh, I don't, I don't have an open heart. Like I feel guarded. The heart space is inherently open. It just, you just have to allow it to meet whatever is in front of you. And so if you feel walls or guarded or like you can't open up to people, you just start by letting love touch that. This part of you that wants to be protected, that is afraid to get close to other people. And then it's like, oh, I need to, you know, I really need to open my heart. And then the guards become an enemy. They're not an enemy. Mm. They're trying to protect you. And even if, even if they weren't, they're the thing that's here right now. And so if you're curious about love and if you're curious about presence, we let that meet whatever is true. And what that does is it softens, uh, it softens resistance. Um, but in a timeline that actually works with you. Um, and it's same with resistance in general, you know, I, I've mentioned the word resistance in different ways here and resistance is very common in, uh, like spiritual practices, especially the Buddhist tradition and meditation traditions where like we're letting, we're letting go of our resistance. Um, you know, main thing I'll just say around that is like, good luck. It's just because you want to let go of resistance doesn't mean it's just going to go away in the same way that just because you want to let go of anything, like doesn't mean you're just going to let go. So I think sometimes we, what we often then do in relationship to that kind of resistance, when we're trying to play it out or try on, like, what would it mean to be like not resistance? We end up doing some form of spiritual bypassing where we, we associate into some end state that we haven't actually earned or isn't actually mm-hmm. true. Like, what would it be like to be non-resistant? Oh, I just wouldn't care that this that my partner cheated on me. I, I don't care. I'm non-resistant. I'm a Buddhist now. I'm a meditator now. Everything's go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, well, you're yeah. pissed and you're just not allowing yourself to feel pissed. That's not that's not embodying the wisdom of non-attachment, of letting go of non-resistance. That's bypassing your experience and prematurely playing out some end state. And it's just going to cause whatever the pain is underneath to fester and grow and show up in dysfunctional ways. So it's all to say, like, if there's resistance there, let yourself feel the resistance. I, you know, I just ran a, a long course on this on working with thoughts and uh, for so many people, like they're they're working with their thinking mind and meditation, and it's just like I I'm just so frustrated by my thoughts, and a big part of what we did in that course was it's just like cool, like let yourself really feel the frustration and actually get into it, 
Like, what's the voice that's coming up? I hate this. Good. Okay. Now embody that more in your practice. Like, let yourself feel it. I hate this. I hate this. I hate my thoughts. I hate how much my mind is thinking. I hate that I can't do it. There's a difference between doing that unconsciously and there's a difference between and and doing it like with permission where you're letting that part of your yourself have the space to be felt and experienced. And for so many of us that are living from a place of I have to be this way in order to be good. And then we take that into our spiritual awakening practices, which is I have to do this in order to be awake or free or liberated or happy. You just end up perpetuating these very patterns that are causing you to further disconnect from yourself. If you want to connect to yourself, you want to be present, you want to feel love, you have to start by bringing that to the thing that is most alive here right now. So if you struggle with stillness, start by loving your struggle with stillness. You don't have to be still. Let yourself move first if that's where it wants to take you. Shake yourself out. Let stillness emerge when it wants to. Um, but if I could yeah, offer anything to anyone, it's it's love the struggle. Yeah, I wow. I think a lot of people will really resonate with that, especially when, you know, they start meditating and those voices begin to pop up about how difficult it is. Uh, I think those are really good uh, words of wisdom. Um, I could talk to you all evening, obviously. Um, I hope you come back onto the show. Um, what's next for Corey Mascara? Hmm. Well, at the time of when this episode comes out, I don't know if this will be available yet, but I am, uh, I'm moving a lot of my teachings into uh, like um, a membership community type area with all my different meditations and uh, live courses, which I'm excited about. Uh, and it'll have an app it's going to be, it'll be called practicing human. So, okay. um, people, if they're interested and want to go deeper, can find out more about that, uh, on my website at coreymascara.com or, you know, if you follow along on Instagram, which is where I do a lot of my teachings, um, you'll get updates there. And, um, yeah. And I also have a daily podcast of the same name, practicing human. So I, I'm just continuing to nurture mm -hmm. all of that living from a place of surrender and sharing what I learned along the way. Perfect. So I'll put all those details in the show notes as well as link to your book, etc. I just want to say thank you so much. This has been a really, really great and deep conversation. I know that a lot of listeners will get a lot from it. Uh, so I just want to say thank you so much. And thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, I know it's making a, a massive impact. So I'll just say thank you. Thanks, Paul. Likewise. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Best of luck. 